This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Joe and Nick here with you as we plunge full steam ahead into the holidays, but still plenty to get to in the golf world. We're going to discuss the new world handicap system. Ooh, buckle up for that. <laughs> the return of Would You Rather. All three professional golf tours, the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and the European Tour, the big ones at least, those wrapped up today. We're recording on Sunday, um, so we'll get to those and kind of how 2019 shook out for those. But Nicholas, I want to start talking about winter golf since it's pretty much here. How timely, yeah. Um, You and I both live in northern climates, and Mm. we deal with four seasons of golf, and we are in the darkest season of golf right now we're entering it it's a long it's a long tunnel and right now there's no light at the end of it so so what do you do what do you do for for golf in the winter i mean i gotta be honest it's actually been unseasonably warm in portland for the last six weeks i played a round of golf yesterday now everyone thought it was psychotic because it was in the upper 30s when we teed off but i was out there in shorts and a polo shirt my man it was uh Yeah, it was well, it was very humid and foggy, so it wasn't it didn't feel that cold, but everyone still thought I was pretty insane. If it was 45 or 50 degrees here tomorrow, I don't even know where I would look for a place to play golf. I mean, <laughs> we're we're coming up on December. I don't even know where the nearest course that would be open is and I have to dust off my clubs and I have to find some serious gear. I don't know. Like I've I kind of packed it in. I, I I had my best round of the year in late October. I just said, see you later. I'm out. <laughs> well, see, that's the difference between us. So we're both in northern climates, but courses don't close in Oregon. Like, so we called ahead to see if there would be a frost delay. Because some courses do have that when you get out into the boonies. Um, this one did not. It's in the city of Portland. He said, we don't do frost delays. Either get out there and play or you don't. And so there was some... Issues with the tea time. My buddy booked it, booked it on the wrong day, but he squeezed this out. So we ended up paying for the round after we actually went out. And I only say that because I asked, I was like, hey, it was pretty crowded out there today. We're talking November 23rd. He's like, yeah, you're the 257th person to pay for golf today. What? <laughs> yes. Now they have 36 wow. holes. They have 36 holes in the track. So there's two courses out there, but still. 
they That's were steady. Unbelievable. From uh, Nick, it's been gorgeous out here. So it was thirty-seven when you teed off. <laughs> yeah, I know, gorgeous, right? But I mean, it's been it's been so dry around here that the courses are playable. So this year is sort of an aberration for Portland. It's not typically like this. It's more of the Northeast, where you're basically so the handicap season in Oregon is March to November. So there's only a week left. And then you can't post scores for your handicap because the assumption is the weather is so bad. You're not really going to be playing true golf conditions like you would be the majority of the year. So that kind of gets you into the silly season where winter golf is. And the only, I won't say the only, but the number one thing, more than umbrellas, more than coats, more than pants, more than warm clothing, my feet are my number one concern during the winter. I bring... Two pairs of socks with me in the summer. Under the best of conditions, in the winter, I'll bring three or four pairs of socks. Because once those feet get wet, you step yourself in a puddle, and you get, once you broach the inside of the shoe, oh, baby, you're going to be uncomfortable the rest of the time. You're already cold. you got to keep those feet dry. So for me, Nick, socks are the number one thing that I need to have with me in the winter. Well, how many, first of all, two questions. How many pairs of socks are you wearing at a time? And what's your shoe game like? Like, how long do your shoes keep your socks dry? Yeah, so one, I don't I don't double up on the socks because even though I want <laughs> them to stay dry and warm, the toes got to breathe, my man. We, Dude, you're <laughs> missing out. What's wrong with you? <laughs> toes got to breathe. Um, I recently stepped up my shoe game big time. I never had a true winter pair of shoes, so I always kind of had ones where... You step into a little bit too much mud, a little bit too much water, soaks right through, ball game, and a new pair of socks. I stepped it up. I got a pair of uh, Echo shoes that are completely waterproof. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, <laughs> world of difference. If you're going to make an investment in your golf game, this is what I recommend to people. Get yourself a really, really nice pair of waterproof golf shoes because it really does make a difference. Even though you're cold and you could be wet, head to your ankles, you keep those feet dry and warm, oof, you're going to be feeling good out there. Yeah, I, I was trending towards the uh, running shoe style golf shoes that have become popular. But this year, I it, it wasn't cutting it because my feet were just getting so in the spring. It's just wet here until like mid-June. So I got a couple pairs of waterproof golf shoes and it's, it is 180 degree difference. It's such a game changer. So that being said, that that makes sense why you can only wear one pair of socks and, and still survive. So, yeah, it's warm I, in there, I, man. It's I like... didn't realize that the courses were open year round out there. That's that's crazy. Our handicap postseason ends November first, so they just shut it down. It's yeah. Once Halloween I, happens, man, forget about it. I mean, they'll they'll keep the courses even when it snows. I don't think they technically shut down golf courses. It's just they know no idiots are going to go out there and start teeing <laughs> off because you're not going to be able to find your ball. I mean, when I was in high school, I remember playing a couple tournaments because they do it in the early spring in hail and snow. Aside from lightning, they really don't call people off the golf course. So the Pacific Northwest, baby, you got to love it. That makes sense. That, that makes sense why, why Bandon is open year round. Cause I hear people talking about going to Bandon in the off season. I'm like, you know, it's in Oregon, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so far south. Though, it's, you... almost, it's almost like a different, uh, a, a different climate down there. It's yeah, it's, it, it's pretty like, funny. So Nick, if you were to play there in February, like, is it, it's, it's moderate enough that it, you're not going to be dying. I think it depends on the day. I mean, you can, you can catch 60, 65 degree days in February down on the Southern Oregon coast, or it can be 35 degrees with sideways rain and 30 mile an hour winds. It just kind of depends. Wow. Yeah. 
Oregon, baby. <laughs> Roll the uh, dice. So is there anything besides <laughs> – spent 10 minutes on socks. Anything besides socks that you really – what is what is very crucial for Nick Heidelberger to enjoy a winter round of golf gear-wise? Um, I have a really nice set of, of rain gear, so rain pants and a jacket. And they're light, but they're 100% waterproof, uh, warm enough. So basically, I'd put, like, these pants on over, like, a pair of sweatpants and be warm in pretty much any conditions. Um, When it rains, it it really doesn't make a difference. And there's, like, a a, a nice, lightweight, breathable golf jacket that goes, you know, it's that's pretty much um, a necessity. But it's been a while since I've played winter golf because now that I'm living out in New England – um, I, I haven't done it. And before that I was living in Hawaii, so it didn't really count. So it's probably been five or six years since, uh, I've really trekked out there in like, you know, December or January. Do you find that it takes you longer to get back in the swing of things once the spring and as you put it, the golf courses dry out in mid June out there? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's always it's always a crapshoot. I mean, like, when when have I ever really been in a rhythm with my golf game to say that it was because of the off season or not? You know, so uh, fired on all cylinders. I can't answer that question. Understood. So one thing I like about winter golf is the expectations kind of go out the window, right? I'm so happy to be out on a golf course in December or January. I don't really care what I shoot. It'd be nice to shoot a good number, but if I go a hanging 94 on the board and I'm upset about it, then why did I get my ass at a golf course when it's 38 degrees in mid-January anyway? You know, it's like if you're going to have a bad attitude about winter golf, you should probably just wait for the weather to get nice. What's your what's your temperature cutoff? Do you have one? I would say 32 degrees, honestly. Really? Yeah, wow. I mean, it was, again, like I say, uh, it was... 37 when we teed off yesterday. I definitely played around, I think, last winter. <laughs> it was terrible. It's 34 degrees and rainy. Um, that was not fun. I, I do regret going out for that. <laughs> but otherwise, I just think, and, and not to sound like a, a martyr, like I'm tougher than anybody. It's just because this is pretty much the only kind of golf weather and climate that I've been used to my whole life. And so I'm just sort of accustomed to what the seasons are. And you can kind of say, you know, if you have three, four days of consecutive dry weather leading up to a weekend, well, we send out a group text, you know, put the uh, the old hook in the water and see if anyone bites and see if we want to go play golf that weekend. That's there that's pretty much what there is. Yeah. My my cutoff was 40 degrees. I used to always just scour the weekend forecast and see if it was a high of 40. So if it was if it was going to touch 40 during the afternoon, that would be good enough for me. Um if I get that chance again, you know, in the next three or four months, for sure, I'm, I'm sure by February I'll be, I'll be having the itch. And, and yeah, 40 degrees, you know, in a dry weekend, I, I could get out there for sure. But 30, 32, that's, I don't know. I thought well, I was crazy. I thought I was crazy at 40. Not to get, not to get too inside jokey, but, uh, you know, back when we lived in Idaho. So basically for folks that aren't familiar with the geography of extreme eastern Washington and northern Idaho, which you're probably not, <laughs> Moscow, where me and Nick... Uh, first fell in love is up high, right? It's probably what twenty five hundred feet up in the air. I want to say twenty eight, yeah, something like that. And so there's a big valley. You probably have to drive forty five minutes to get there. There's a big valley in a town called Lewiston, and so you could play golf there 
because it was at a lower elevation sometimes in the winter. So Nick, <laughs> Nick and I did make some trips down there when it was like 40 degrees and the golf course, God bless it, is basically on the side of a mountain. So <laughs> if you get a wind, it really just takes your ball to hell and gone. But it does satiate the desire to play golf, just getting out there with your sticks and your balls and taking a whack at it. For sure. I mean, winter golf, there, there's always, it's a, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for sure. So, uh, you know, if, if you get the chance, you're in, you're in a cold climate, you get one of those 35, 40 degree days, a little bit of dryness, get out there and play. Do it. Um, Nick, I knew, we, I knew we were going to do the world handicap system next, but I'm looking at this would you rather, and I feel like the cold weather golf discussion leads into it quite nicely. It's, Do you want to set a good this transition. One up? Yeah, so we're talking about winter golf, and now it's different than it was even five years ago, where you have different alternatives. It used to just be either play or don't play. But now, with all the TrackMan technology that's coming around, I'll bet you no matter where you are, within 25 to 30 minutes of you, you could play indoor golf on a TrackMan simulator for about 50 bucks an hour. So, Joe, would you rather play golf outdoors with a high of 43, which I already know <laughs> I already know where this is going for you. That's if you were in shorts and 37. Uh, or play indoors on a TrackMan simulator with a simulated round. You could play Pebble Beach if you want to. Indoors, nice pitcher of cold beer with your buddies. Which would you rather? Okay, so... You're right. My answer is obvious here. It's playing outdoors with a high of 43. And I feel like such an old man whenever the idea of a simulator or I see these commercials on the Golf Channel where the family's very excited playing these legendary golf courses in their family room and everyone just seems so thrilled. I have people at my office who participate in indoor leagues and they, you know, have the simulator and they love it and they swear by it and there's certain golf instructors who predominantly use the indoor simulator because they're not, they, they don't teach out at a range or a golf course. They have the big mat and they use the simulator. I got to be honest. I have never, for probably all the balls I've hit into a simulator, I literally believe zero of them. I don't trust any of these things. And I understand I'm a caveman and I'm completely wrong. I know this is irrational. Trust me, I believe it. But not being able to see the ball flight drives me nuts and i personally don't feel like i get a good benefit out of using these indoor simulators they drive me nuts nick so the short answer playing outdoors <laughs> with a high of 43 so can you just tell me why i'm wrong about the simulators i know i am yes. oh i okay do you know that you want to strike the ball with a square as square as possible face angle right Absolutely. do you know do you know you want to hit the ball in the center of the club Yes, okay. I do. Do you, do, you, do you know how far you want to hit your clubs? Oh, farther. Okay. okay. So, yeah, you can get deep into the weeds with, with spin rates. And if you know what you're looking for for those things, that's great. But to know, to, to identify a few trends, you don't need to be a scientist. You don't need to be Bryson DeChambeau. You just need to know, like, oh, look, I'm coming over the top. Or my club base is way open at impact or I'm hitting it off the toe or I'm hitting it off the heel. And if you take a hundred swings with your irons or with a certain club or a driver or whatever it is on a track man, and you look at the data, you're going to be able to identify pretty easily. 
things that you're doing, and then you can go back in the next couple of weeks. And uh, God knows the world is full of of corrections and tips and tricks for every single fault out there in golf. So you can go and and, and find something that works for you and work on those specific swing flaws. I find that when I hit a bad shot on the golf course, I just chalk it up to no matter how often it happens. Oh, like it was just that one, you know, and I don't identify trends or I don't, I'm much slower to try to correct trends. But if I look at a set of data and I hit a hundred shots and 60 of them fell into a certain, you know, miss hit, they were all the same. Like that's undeniable. It is. But I also think we are different types of players. I think you are a lot more analytical with the way you approach your golf swing, especially now with the career that you have, probably working with the PGA, I'm sure you're more into that world. I'm very much a feel player and I don't really interpret my swing. If I see one go right, it's like, okay, the club face was open. So I try to make a correction on the next swing. Like I'm not good at taking that information and working on drills and figuring out a way long-term to fix those things. And perhaps that's incumbent upon me to start doing that because that's how I'm going to improve my golf game. But that's just not the kind of player I am. Do you think that I just need to shift my way of thinking to improve? Because my handicap has been stalled at five for probably like, you know, first world problems, but it's been stuck there for probably like three or four years now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that you should change the style of player you are, but I definitely think you could benefit from if you spent if you had three indoor like hour long trackman sessions over the winter between now and April or May first, I, I definitely think you could you could benefit. I don't think you need to just automatically become this in depth analytical person. Uh, you know when it comes to your golf game, I don't think you should change what's natural to you. But at the same time, you're ignoring a lot of data that's relevant and accurate um, and can teach you a lot. So if you just look at you just have to be disciplined. Okay, I'm just going to look at these three things. I'm just going to look at you know how I can you know strike it more consistently, strike it off the center, whatever it might be. Um, and, and you could definitely gain from that. I, I I definitely think if you opened your mind to it a little bit, you you could make some gains from. It. But that's not to say there's field players and there's analytical players. There's everything in between. You shouldn't change who you are, but um, I think being open to it can can definitely help. And I think it just comes back to the point of what are you looking to get out of your winter? You just want to have some fun, play golf when you can. Hey, that's great. Um, if you suck at golf and you want to get better, I fall into that category. I think it's a time where you can pick one or two things or maybe set a routine and say, hey, I'm going to work on my game three days a week doing these chipping and putting drills and maybe focusing on one or two things that, that I want to get better at um, and see if you can you know, see noticeable gains in the spring. Yeah, and I, I probably should do that because I use winter to just sort of like, be, hey, this is exciting. I'm getting out and playing golf. And you know, a lot of the events and like stuff that I try to qualify for is in the spring and my game is nowhere near I need it to be to have a chance to actually qualify and compete in these events. So perhaps I need to just get my shit together and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, and you should still have fun with it. And, and it's not wrong to just take advantage of a day and get out and play golf. But, but if you're not, I don't know, I, I'm married to a coach, you know, so there, there's, <laughs> soccer season is, is 60 days out of the year, 90 days out of the year, but it's, it's year round. Like if you're not doing everything those other nine months to get better for those three months, then it's, it's wasted time. So I just kind of look at it that way. Like, what can I do now? So I'm not regretting how I spent my winter next June when it comes time for the corner club open. Oh, can't wait. Uh, speaking of events 
and keeping track of handicaps. Nicholas, the world handicap system is upon us now. It's going to get a little bit nerdy here for a second. So for those of you who don't have a handicap, first of all, I would highly recommend getting one. It's the best way to have matches and compete against people who are not the same skill levels as you. That's what it's designed for. But there's going to be a big change out there uh, coming January 1st. Do you want to give uh, the patrons a quick rundown of what that's going to look like, Nick? Yeah, so if you've been listening this long, you probably know that the World Handicap System is going into effect in the United States of America on January 1st. So quick overview, it's just going to consolidate six handicap systems into one around the world. So there's one global world handicap system. Um, If you have a handicap, you probably know that it's in some way, shape, or form an average of your best 10 of your last 20 scores. Um, so a couple of the changes, it's now going to be the best eight of your last 20. So that's great. Um, and a couple other minor details are going to be changed. Um, if you're familiar with your equitable stroke control, that's going to be replaced by basically a maximum score of net double bogey. Um, and the way it's going to be calculated is going to be a little bit different, Joe. So instead of timesing your last 10 stroke differentials by 0.96 to reduce it by a little bit, uh, that's going away, and they're just going to take the last eight instead. Um, other than that, not not too crazy of changes as far as the daily golfer is concerned, but I think you and I are going to identify our top three pros and a con each of, uh, of the new system. You want to kick it off? I do. So this first one I'm very excited about. It's always bothered me that when you have a great round – when the course is playing exceptionally difficult, it doesn't make a difference, right? So if you have a really good round in pouring down rain, wind blowing sideways, it's very cold, whatever the case may be, it doesn't behoove you from a handicap perspective to have that great round when the conditions are bad because in mid-July when it's sunny, if you shoot 76 and you also shoot 76 when the conditions are terrible, that counts the same and your handicap. So now the course conditions on a given day will be a part of the factor that determines how good of a round that actually was. This thrills me because my best round of the year was at Pumpkin Ridge, one of the nicest courses in Portland, and it was pouring down rain. It was a little bit windy. The course was basically empty, and it was us out there, and I fired a pretty good round. I think I shot 76 or 77, and it was unquestionably my best round of the year. Now, I had lower scores than that during the year, but the handicap index from those days where I shot lower than 76 at Pumpkin will be better when in reality, that round at Pumpkin was the best round of the year because the conditions were so poor and going forward, that will be taken into account. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, that <laughs> uh, you will get that benefit. My best pro of this and and this as a high handicapper is on my radar and for low handicappers probably won't be on the radar as much there is now a factor for posting an exceptionally low score so if i post a score that is seven or more strokes better than my differential my i automatically get a handicap reduction of one so every differential for my last 19 rounds will be reduced by one, which will in turn reduce my handicap by one. Um, And if it's more than 10 strokes better, it'll be reduced by two. So for example, my last round of the year was 7.2 or 
three strokes better than my differential. So I should get that exceptionally low score factor, which is w- what a thrill. I mean, I don't know how I could be more excited. And this goes to my second pro. What's nice about this is instead of your handicap being updated twice a month, for those that aren't familiar, you get an email, almost like a present twice a month, letting you know if your handicap went down or went up, you will have daily handicap changes. So for Nick's exceptional round, because you had that seven-stroke margin between what your handicap is and what that round was, your handicap the next day would go down by one stroke. We're talking immediate feedback here, baby. I love that. (laughs) I mean, while it's fun to wait a little bit and kind of be like, oh, I wonder what happened there, it's really nice to have the immediate, I don't know, positive boost if your handicap is reduced that you're getting that positive reinforcement right away as opposed to having to wait two weeks for it. And I'm just going to put it into perspective. Like, the way that we're talking about a handicap, like, the intention of a handicap is for competitive purposes. If you're going to go and compete in a tournament, this is, you know, what fair is for you. Um, but I think the majority of golfers, as indicated by our conversation, is like, I want to see, I want to track my progress. I want to see how good I'm getting. I want to see how low I can get my handicap. Because, like, if you really think about it, people want their handicaps to be higher because they have a better chance of winning whatever event they're participating in. Well, but, I would say unethical golfers want their handicap. Correct. But there's, higher. but there's a lot of people out there who are like that. And there's a lot of things being put in place with the new world handicap system to prevent that. But it's, it's funny because I would never want my handicap to be any higher. Like heaven no forbid, like let's get, let's see how low we can get that sucker. You know, like somebody comes up to you and they, Oh, you play golf. What's your handicap? It's yep. the first question anybody asks. It's the first thing you want to know about somebody. It, it, it puts them into a category. So uh, I just think it's, I have to remind myself sometimes that there are people out there who want to have as high of a handicap as possible, um, which I, I just can't wrap my head around. Monsters. So I seriously, um, my second pro, Joe, was daily updates, and, and you basically hit it on the head there, uh, that immediate feedback. And also, you, you see once every, or, or once every two weeks, twice a month is, is nowhere near often enough to have your handicap update. Say you post a great score on August 2nd, have a couple bad rounds on August 5th and August 9th, and then... All of a sudden, August 15th rolls around. You don't have no idea if that sucker's going up or down. You need to know, I played good yesterday. My handicap's going down today. Yeah, it is nice to have that immediate feedback. I'm going to look forward to that. And, like, you know, if you have, like, a trip with your friends and you have, like, three or four rounds and, you know, Johnny is over here blowing the doors off the place for the first two rounds – the third round, you guys are going to be equal again instead of him still having that slightly inflated handicap because the adjustment hasn't been made for a couple more weeks. You're going to get that immediate feedback, that immediate adjustment, and the most accurate representation of where a golfer is every single day of the year. It's great. Um, my third is my handicap's going to go down. It's going to be great. So because you're using, instead of the system right now, which uses your 10 best rounds, it will now use your best eight rounds. And so January 1st, Nick, I'm assuming I'm going to go from a five handicap to like a two. 
Well, it's, it's no. I don't no know how bad. I don't know how bad your ninth and tenth rounds were. Hopefully Joe. terrible. Um, yeah, but hopefully terrible. But in my situation, I actually calculated it out, and I took what my differentials were for my last for my best ten rounds, and I was just in this groove of mid nineties all summer. So I basically shot between ninety two and ninety seven all summer, and so my differentials. There's not much of a difference from my fifth worst uh, or fifth best round to my 10th best round. So that dropping the the ninth and 10th is not going to help me. It's not going to overcome the the loss of the 0.96 calculation where you times it by 0.96 to reduce it a little bit. Um, It's not going to overcome that. So mine may be going up if I get the extremely great score factor, then then it will go down. But depending on how consistent or inconsistent you were within those 10 rounds, it, it may go down, but it may not. That's, <laughs> that sucks. I know it does. <laughs> I like, thought I, I read I, that pretty much was, every American's handicap is going to go down. And now I'm, now I'm mean, going to be you, sitting there January 1st. It might go up a little bit. If you think about it, it would make sense that it would, but I, I did the math because honestly my last, I shot like five of the same score. And then a couple more that were like a stroke higher. So it, it really doesn't, it's really not going to help me. So I, I was pretty depressed earlier today when I realized mine's not going down for that. Um, Joe, on, on that same token, however, mine will be going down because of max score of net double bogey. So this is going to replace the equitable stroke control. So you have the ESC where depending on what handicap range you fall in, there's a, there's a maximum score you can take. And if you're in the lowest handicap bracket, so I don't know, zero to four or five, I don't know what, where it cuts off because I'm, I'm not in that territory. It's double bogey. So you can't take more than a double bogey. But for me, it's eight. So it's not a score in relation to par, which is frustrating if I make an eight on a par three or a par four or a par five, it doesn't matter. It all counts. The, it's, all, it's all an eight. Whereas moving forward, max score of a net double bogey. So if I'm getting one stroke on a par three, the most I can take is a six. So if I made an eight on a par three now, all of a sudden it's a six. So I look back through a couple scorecards, like once every round or every other round, maybe two out of three rounds, I have a, a quad on a par four. All of a sudden, I'm getting a stroke back every once every couple of rounds. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be nice. I had no idea that it was set up that way for high handicappers. That eight counting on a par three, that's stinking brutal. Yeah, man. You just you just got to hit a good tee shot. <laughs> <laughs> just put it on the green. <laughs> Take eight out um, of play early. <laughs> so I don't have many negatives for this system. Uh, I guess the only one that I've come up with is that it's new. and. People fear change. Um, I don't really think there's a lot in this system that is negative. This has been several years in the making to be able to unify so many different golf bodies to agree upon this means they're probably doing the right thing here. So uh, my slight con is that it's something new, even though I think all the changes are correct. I, I think it's funny that like they're selling this idea of like, we're doing this. So now you can, take your handicap and play people worldwide. Like this is the, like, don't you understand the benefit you're getting now? You can be, have the same handicap as someone from Australia and South Africa and Argentina. Like this is so great. And it's like, dude, what, 
what are you talking about? Like, I don't even play people in my own town. Like, <laughs> why I'm is so that, excited. Why is that important? I, I guarantee you just putting that out into the world, 2020 will be the year where you take on a lot of international competition and you'll all be playing on the same level playing field now. Well, maybe, maybe not, because some of the other countries aren't kicking in on January 1st. So some are, but some are waiting until next fall. So wouldn't it be funny if, like, May of next year, I can't play against my, my best friend from Australia because <laughs> they're still on the old system. Do you not like um, anything about this? The only con I have, and again, it, it's pretty weak. It's not really uh, that big of a drawback, is same-day posting is, is now pre- actually pretty important. So before, I'd, I'd play golf on the weekends, um, but you come home, and, and then I just am completely out of golf mode, and I'm just doing my chores or, or you know, taking my wife on a nice date or you know, taking the dogs out or something completely not golf-related. But it's actually really important to post your scores on the same day now because of the daily updates and also the weather factor that is going to be factored into the course rating for that day. So now I got to go spend five or six hours driving to the course, playing golf, coming home, fixing the sandwich, and then posting my score on the same day. So, you know, takes a couple extra minutes on a, on a day where I'm already taking up, uh, you know, a fraction of my time, but uh, not, not too big of a deal. Before we move on from this, I, I, I want to pick your brain about, about one more item. Mm-hmm. The person who is actually determining if the course conditions were difficult or abnormal on a given day. So you told me before we started recording that it's not going to be based on a certain time of day. It's going to be the entirety of the day weather-wise. So is it just going to be the superintendent, uh, the greenskeeper? the head pro, 16-year-old Jim who works in the pro shop, who is actually in charge of determining if the course conditions necessitate changing the rating and slope for a given day? It is going to be 16-year-old Jim who, who works in the pro shop and Perfect. occasionally is picking balls. He's, what he's going to do is when he's picking balls in the range, he's going to lick his fingers, stick it in the air. <laughs> and uh, No, um, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I have to imagine they're going to take the weather data that is collected by whatever governing body, you know, collects the weather data. I, I know it's, I know, I know there's somebody out there, Joe, who collects weather data. And I have to imagine the year 2020 that the R&A and the USGA and the World Handicap System can get their hands on that data. I, I just hope that they just plug it into a formula and they say, hey, look, in Portland, Oregon, there was 25 mile an hour wind, uh, you know, on June 26th, and we're going to adjust the uh, the course rating by this amount. So I, I hope it's not an actual person who's responsible for deciding how many strokes to give you or, or take away on that day, but um, I guess I don't know for sure. I am fascinated to see how much it actually does change. Like, if you do get really bad conditions, if that means a half a stroke or like three strokes to determine what, like, what it actually is. What do you think is fair? Like, say, say Pumpkin Ridge was playing legitimately three strokes harder that day. Can you get all three strokes, or do they have to hedge and say fifty percent of what they anticipated? You know, adjustment is, or or what? What do you think would be a, a good formula for that? I don't know if it's out there if they publish it or if they just say, "Hey, it takes into account." Uh, I don't, I don't know, but I would say like on a particular day where. 
no one else is on the golf course but you and your foursome, um, the course conditions are probably pretty bad. And I would assume that it should be a pretty dramatic factor. Now, if you're talking about it just happens to be cold or a little bit of wind, maybe a quarter stroke, a half stroke. But I have played some rounds, and I will say Pumpkin Ridge is one of them that day. It was like in May, so it was pretty unusual for that time of year. I will say that I would say at least two or three strokes should have been accounted into how difficult the conditions were at that time. I'm very curious to see how many strokes golfers will get or how much of a benefit it actually is, or if it's more of a non-factor. Like, mm-hmm. if that day is like a half a stroke and you really need something incredibly dramatic for it to actually be changed. Joe, I just stumbled off upon a piece of literature, and uh, let's see if I can answer this question. Okay. The adjustment is limited both in increasing or decreasing the differential. So, just from there, apparently, if it's beautiful, pristine conditions, they can adjust it to um adjust the differential to be playing easier which that's i didn't bullshit. realize if, i, I, swear I, to God, agree, if they I start, agree 100 if they start messing with that i'm gonna have some real problems with this new system the adjustment when a course is playing unusually hard can be to reduce the differential one two or three strokes and the adjustment when a, when a course is playing unusually easy can be to increase the differential one or two strokes how the hell can they say a course is playing easier? Don't you rate Imagine a golf Imagine if you have your best round of the year and they say, no, it was playing two strokes easier than normal. <laughs> that is not a daily update I want to receive. That's <laughs> insane. I always uh, interpreted course rating and slope under optimal conditions. This is what the golf course is supposed to play under the given temperature, wind, uh, saturation of the soil that you're playing with. All of that should be standard. The fact that they, wow, that is crazy. The fact that they can rate the courses easier. Imagine, hey, Nick, imagine you have your exceptional round and you wake up the next day and you see, hey, hey, Heidelberger, that was a pretty easy track you got that done on. Um, It's actually six to not seven strokes better, not an exceptional round. You'll be livid. I will be so red, Joe. (laughs) You know how hard it is for me to shoot six strokes better than my freaking handicap? My handicap, oh, I suck, Joe. Like, that was a freaking Caddyshack-level round. And if they were to tell me that it was not exceptional, I I, I would lose it. I might trade my sticks for a tennis racket. I don't know. (laughs) Look forward to in 2020. Um, Nick, do you have anything else on handicap, or should we wrap up uh, professional golf for 2019? Um, No, that's it. Let's uh, let's talk about the tours. Okay, so – we're recording this on Sunday, the uh, 24th. Basically, the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and European Tour all had their last event of 2019. Uh, let's start with the PGA Tour. Nick, does the name Brendan Todd mean anything to you? Um, I've seen it a little bit the last couple of weeks. I think the guy added a couple uh, a couple pieces of hardware to his collection this month. Yeah, let's say he added two pieces of hardware to the collection. So the last two players to win three straight starts in the same calendar year on the PGA Tour since 1970. Short list, Nick. Gary Player did it in 1978, and Eldrick did it in 2006, Mr. Tiger Woods. Brendan Todd, who started the year. I'm going to cut you off real quick. I'm surprised that's not one of those stats where it's like Gary Player in whatever year, and then Tiger Woods did it in 99, 2001, 2002, 2004, 2007, 2009. Yeah, I know. Anyways, though. (laughs) I was surprised by that, too. 
So Brendan Todd, who came into this golf season at January 1st, ranked 2006th in the world. There were 2,005 professional golfers better than him. So you're like, okay, well, this is just a guy who's probably kicking around the Corn Ferry Tour, the Canadian Tour. You'd be right about that. But this month, he won two consecutive starts in the PGA Tour. And the RSM Classic, which wrapped up today, he was in the final group, tied for the lead with an opportunity to add his name to the list, shooting 62 yesterday. And Nick, you caught some golf today if you want to fill in the rest of the story. I watched the back nine knowing full well Brendan Todd was going for the uh, for the three-peat. Um, he, he did not look great. I mean, I, I'm not going to shit on the guy. Like, he just won no. two PGA Tournament, two, two PGA Tour events in the final group today, but, but his... His round today was not stellar. I think he made his first birdie of the day on the 16th hole. Um, he I had think, a, hey, look, look, I made my first birdie of the day <laughs> yesterday on 17, so I'm not going to fault him for that. Look, yeah, but you're you're not ranked 2006th in the world uh, at any point no. this year. Um, there, there was a point today because I watched it, and I was hoping he would get it done. And uh, Webb Simpson, who he was trying to chase down, um, hit a ball, hit a tee shot out of position, uh, I think on like the – 14th or 15th hole he was in some pine straw had, had a little trouble and Brendan Todd was in the middle of the fairway and I was like this is it easily could be a two-stroke swing uh Brendan Todd ended up missing the green hitting a poor chip and uh Webb recovered just fine and he never really made a run um made a couple birdies late but but was never really in contention still finished fourth uh, I think t4 incredible run for him people were talking about should he have been the replacement on the on the President's Cup team instead of Ricky Fowler? Yeah, let's 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 chill on that talk. I mean, Ricky <laughs> Ricky Fowler is a stud who's played in many of these team events. Um, I'm going to run down the top ten of the RSM Classic. Nick Tyler Duncan shouts to him. Beat Webb Simpson in a playoff. Duncan, 30 years old, first PGA Tour win. Congratulations to him. But here's the rest of the top 10. You tell me how strong this field is. Sebastian Munoz, Brendan Todd, Henrik Norlander, Scotty Scheffler, Koo Kyung Lee, Denny McCarthy, DJ Trahan, Will Gordon, Brian Stewart, and Vaughn Taylor. That's your top 10 of the RSM Classic. Not exactly world beaters out there. People want to criticize Ricky for not getting a lot of wins. Guess what? My homie finished top five in all four majors in a calendar year. He consistently what, competes what calendar in majors. Year was that? 2015? <laughs> 14. Not the point. Ricky is used to these events. The President's Cup is still six weeks away. And while Brendan Todd will probably have it Joe, cooking. What calendar are you on? The President's Cup is in like two weeks. Isn't the President's Cup December 30th? No. It oh, we're sooner than that. It, it uh, ends December 15th. So it's December 11th through 15th. Well, shit. Maybe they should have picked him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still think that Ricky Fowler is the right pick. It's the smart pick. Um, that would be pretty off the radar. And look, Tiger Woods is your captain, folks. I mean, while he wants to win this thing, he probably also wants to pick a team that's going to be fun to hang out with for a week. And I'm not saying Brendan Todd's not a wow. good time guy, but uh, oh, no offense, Brendan. <laughs> I mean, no offense, Brendan. <laughs> but who does Tiger Woods want to hang out with? Ricky and his private jet and his coterie of uh, you know friends that he has there, or Brendan Todd? That's just the harsh reality, man. This is life in the big city. Let's go. All right, let's move on to the LPGA Tour. Yes, LPGA Tour, the richest purse in LPGA Tour history. Uh, The check was cashed today by Si Young Kim, an incredibly dramatic finish. She birdies 18 to take it. Um, Looked like for a second there, watched a little bit on the weekend, 
that there might be a battle between the Corda sisters, Nellie and Jessica, didn't quite come to fruition. Nellie Corda is the highest-ranked U.S. player right now, according to the Rolex rankings. Danielle Kang, Lexi Thompson, 8-9 and nine in the top 10. Currently, that's the uh, American contingent. But Si Young Kim ranked 11th in the world going into this event. She'll obviously jump into the top 10. It cashes a tidy little sum of $1.5 million, Nick, the richest purse in the history of the LPGA Tour. $1.5 million for an LPGA winner. Uh this is awesome. I love the road that they're going down uh, and investing in the LPJ Tour. We need more of it on this show. We're going to deliver in 2020, I promise. Um, it's awesome. Keep it up. Shifting to the European Tour, they had their season-closing event in Dubai. That was taken down by uh, Rambo, John Rom. I hate that nickname because his name is Rom. It should, be, it should be Rombo. I don't get why it's Rambo. Anyway, What's John Rom. John Rom. Both his names are one syllable. You don't need a nickname if your name is John Rom. Yeah, I agree with that. That's fair. John Rom wins the tournament in Dubai, wins the season long race. Uh, the race to Dubai is what they call it. it. Used to be called the Order of Merit, whatever it is. It's the money title in Europe. So, quick stat here on John Rom. Uh, this is from Justin Ray, who's stat extraordinaire on the tweets. Rom, this is his sixth European Tour win in just 40 career starts. It's the fewest number of starts needed to reach six wins on the European Tour since Tiger Woods. Only took him 26. He won six of his first 26 starts in Europe. This, this, is, what, this is what I'm talking about. Where like, oh, it's, it's the fewest since. His is 40 and Tiger's is almost half that. That's, that's what I'm getting at earlier. Like I'm surprised Tiger was whatever. Usually these stats where, where Tiger is the other person, it's just like not even close. Yeah, it's like five of Tiger and one of Gary Player to your exactly. point. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so John Rahm, it takes him 40 starts, got there 15 starts faster than who many consider to be one of the greatest uh, European tour players of all time. Seve Ballesteros took him 55. So again, John Rahm wins another big event, and you have to assume his name will be bandied about with Brooks and DJ and Rory come April when uh, we go to Augusta. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens. There, there's two dozen guys on the PGA Tour who every time they win, it's the end of the world, and it's it's... They are just absolutely dominant, and nobody can touch them. And and it's John Rahm, and it's it's Dustin Johnson, and it's Roy McIlroy, it's Brooks Kepka, when Justin Thomas. When these guys win, it's like, oh, look out! He's the favorite. He's going to dominate for the whole next you know half decade. I think we're we're very starved for a replacement for Tiger Woods, and um, we just have a pool of guys who are getting it instead. I think it's a nice win for John Rahm. I don't think it means anything going forward. Wow. Okay. I'll, hey, how about that? Nick tempers the excitement about John Rom. We're not declaring him uh, the next golfer of the decade, huh? No, you can't declare anybody because it, it just it just doesn't happen. It's just a setup for disappointment. It's just instead of one guy, like when there was Tiger Woods for twenty years, it was one guy, and now it's now it's twenty guys. It's ten guys. It, it just goes much deeper. I mean, you're right. Look at the case of Jordan Spieth. In 2015, we all assumed, oh, my God, Jordan Spieth's going to win 10 majors by the end of the decade. And uh, he's still at three, folks. He hasn't won since uh, the 2017 British Open. So as fast as it comes, it can leave just as quickly. I'd be curious to see if Rom can uh, seriously compete in a major because he really hasn't had that experience of being final group in a Sunday uh, one shot back with a few holes to play. Despite his dominance in big events, he's never really been a factor in any major tournaments yet down the stretch. Yeah, so 
it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I like that we're getting to the to the point where um, we're talking about major season is coming up after the Hawaii swing, basically. Uh, it's around the corner. Yeah, Rombo, we'll see if we can do it. So on the calendar, Nick corrected me. I was just two weeks off when the President's Cup oh, is. So geez. <laughs> that is coming up very soon. We'll make sure to put a preview out of that now that we have the dates squared away. Uh, and then we flip the calendar to 2020. We have the Hawaii swing. Then they'll be in California. They'll be at Pebble Beach. They'll be at Augusta before we know it, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird to say heading into Thanksgiving, but we actually have a lot of exciting golf to look forward to. I mean, we've got Tiger's event first week of December, then the President's Cup, take a couple weeks off. But the Hawaii Swing is one of my favorite, you know, two weeks of the year because it's primetime golf on the East Coast. You turn on the TV at, you know, 7, 8 p.m. and you get, you know, household names on the leaderboard playing the final round. So it's pretty fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's always fun to get live golf where it's dark where you are, but it's sunny and beautiful where they are. It always, it just makes you feel like, okay, we're right around the corner. Golf season's coming for me. I can see it. (laughs) A lot of good content coming up from At The Turn. We have some exciting uh, corporate sponsorships that we're excited to talk about. And, Nick, we're going to get an Instagram page going. The Instagram page is coming. We're going to plunge. You know what, Joe? I think Instagram is going to be where it's at in the future. (laughs) It's going to be a thing. You should get on Instagram now because it's going to blow up, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, Nick and I are plunging headfirst into 2013. We're getting on Instagram <laughs> and at the turn. I'm going to put a lot of good content out there. We'll put a link to it on the Twitter page, or you can just search for us or at, at the turn pod on Instagram. Nicholas, I think that does it for episode 51. 51. Joe, we're, we are closer to 100 than we are one. How about that? Incredible stuff. We always appreciate you listening to at the turn pod. Like and subscribe rate and review it would mean a lot to nick don't do it for me do it, it for nick it would mean a lot to me if if we you know what joe just this very sad note like once a month i get an email that says like all the reviews that at the turn gets on itunes and every single time i've gotten this email it's just said no reviews for at the turn <laughs> it's so sad look so if you sad. want to make nick happy when he opens his inbox <laughs> Put a review up there. Tell us what you like. Tell us if you hate us. Look, we're okay with an honest review. Give us the one star. Nick just wants something in his inbox. I'd rather get an email that says we got a review than an email that says my handicap went down by like three points of a percent. I don't know if I believe that, but that's okay. Again, we'll be back very soon with President's Cup content. um, And we love you all so much. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.